like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santy and um, I've got Richard Cohen today. Hi everyone. And that's him. And together Richard and I are going to talk to um, author Michelle Saucedo. Um, who has written a book that I just read. Actually, I, I speed read it at the end of the year because I wanted to be able to keep it in consideration for the end of the year <clears throat> top five reads countdown that I do on my Facebook page. Um, and it was wonderful and, and, um, and I loved it. So anyway, we're here to talk about it. And the book is called um, Uncover the Roots of Challenging Behavior, Create Responsive Environments Where Young Children Thrive. Um, so Michelle, will you tell folks about yourself a little bit? And then we'll and we'll jump in. Sure. Hi, Heather and Richard. So happy to be here with you and everybody else in this podcast world. Uh, as Heather said, my name is Michelle Salcedo, and I have been in early childhood for many, many years as a teacher, as a director, as a content um, curriculum developer. Uh, have worked in leadership of many uh, or of two of the top early childhood programs in the country. Um, now I work for a wonderful company called Quality Assist, um, creating really interactive and exciting e-learning um, for teachers across, across the world. And um, also have two children who are grown and a grandchild, and I'm just excited to be here with the two of you. I want Yay. a grandchild. That's no fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Richard, you have something you wanted to get in before we move forward. Oh, you mean my funny story? Mm -hmm, yeah. No, I'm going to save that for the very oh, end. Oh, for the end. I, okay. Yes. What oh, I would like. So to Michelle can be on pins start. and needles through the whole thing. <laughs> exactly. I like Great. to keep Michelle on her toes. Mm -hmm. Michelle and I have known each other since 2004, um, and so I've been keeping on her toes, her on her toes for 17 years. And just a quick confession before we get into uh, the discussion about this book, I haven't actually read it past the dedication page. Um, oh my God. Are you on the dedication page? Uh, Michelle? <laughs> you are, aren't you? Aren't you right there? 
I kind of I seem to remember he might as my name may have been mentioned on the dead. Okay, yeah. I was I was really concerned for a minute. Like, did I did I bow? (laughs) He's calling you out in this podcast. Bow to the pressure that I knew Richard was going to put on me to put him somewhere in there. So yes, yes, I did. My name was in bold and italics. (laughs) Wow, very. And I'm lying. I did the whole book. It's an amazing book. Just like you, Richard, you're you're bold in, in italics. Aw, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, back to me. <laughs> um, okay, so here's our quote to start our conversation. Um, the image of a gardener tending to a plant provides us with a different lens through which we can examine children's challenging behaviors. I'm not a gardener, but I know many people, including my own children, who are. When faced with a plant that is not thriving, the dedicated gardener will quite literally leave no stone unturned in the quest to discover why. Um, so first of all, I love the analogy, the, the, the um, you know, framing children's behavior, helping children with their behavior um, next to helping a plant grow. Um, and I think we've seen, a lot of us probably have seen, and you, you use it here too, there's a quote, um, uh, when the flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. Um, but to, to really hone it in on this area of, of helping children with behaviors, I think is so helpful. Um, so, so I want to let you first just talk a little bit about, about that as a starting point. Sure. You know, it, it really, for me, as I was thinking about, um, uh, I'm going to back up for a second. So when I first started talking about this book and thinking about these ideas, it used to be called teacher as detective. Um, because it was about looking at clues and thinking about that kind of idea. And it just um, didn't sort of gel for me as I was thinking through things. And, and part of it might have been, you know, the outlines of bodies on the ground that detectives look at didn't feel right for early childhood. It would be a very um, different cover. It, it would be a very <laughs> different cover, very different discussions. Um, especially if somebody didn't read past the dedications, they might not make great decisions for children. Um, But I was thinking about, and then I started thinking about these ideas and how they, that quote informed a lot of what I had done as teachers and thinking about this idea that it's not up to us to fix children. That that's not what we're talked about when we talk about developmentally appropriate practice or we talk about building classrooms. And I started thinking about my children and how they talk about their gardens and how they are passionate about, it's never about this, there's something wrong with this plant. It's about what do I need to do to help this plant thrive, to help this plant be successful. And it just, everything fell in place when I started thinking about that analogy. Um, And so it really was about this idea that as teachers, it's up to us to not say, what is wrong with this child? How do I need to fix this child? But instead, what do I need to do to help this child be successful? Mm-hmm. What, is this, what is this behavior telling me? And what can I do in my environments, in my activities, in my interactions yeah. to support this child? And, and sometimes it's, what do I need to learn? So I'm not a gardener, but I dabbled in like container gardening on a patio for a couple of, of summers, mostly because I wanted to grow cucumbers and make pickles using my grandma's recipe, um, which I did, but I've moved on from. Anyway, I, that's what I found myself <laughs> doing when I didn't know what was working. I, I thought, well, I have to learn something to be able to work 
through this problem that I've got. And I think that that is, um, is, is a key part of this analogy too, for me. Um, but, but the idea that, that, um, leave no stone unturned in the quest to discover why was powerful for me. And so early in the book, that was, that really hit me because, and and I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm making broad generalizations or anything, but every, every program I've worked in ever in 30 years has had people who have given up on a child or a couple of children because their behavior is so hard to understand or, or figure out. And so this idea of, of doing everything we can to help the plant thrive, I think Mm -hmm. is, is, is a powerful lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what a, what a, what a message that is to children when we say to them, Hey, you're three years old, but I've given up on you. Yeah. And you are, you are, they may not even be aware themselves. I mean, but, but that's the idea, you know, they're in like when I was a director, they'd be in my office saying, you know, I just, I've tried everything. Nope. There's no reasons. I've looked for reasons. You know, I just, right, this right, just right, isn't right. working. And, and so they're not saying to themselves even, well, I've given up on this one, but, but I, mm-hmm. I see it happening and it's hard on both sides. Sure. Well, and then one of the clues to giving up when, when you know a teacher has given up is when they start labeling children, mm-hmm. they may not realize or even think they're, they're you know, we're or have malicious intent people and they would never say, oh, I'm giving up on this child. Mm-hmm. But they would say, uh, this is one of my bad kids. And that's the first clue in your own self-reflection that you've basically given up on this child. Mm-hmm. And I also think a, a really interesting clue that, that I've seen before in a lot of classrooms is, so you get rid of that child. You know, the, the problem child, you kick them out. And now suddenly another child steps up and is the new bad child. <laughs> and you know, for, uh, for those of you in podcast world, Please, no, I did quotations There's air quotes. around bad yeah. child. Yeah. yeah, We keep oh, talking about a sound effect for air quotes and I yeah, haven't quite yeah. worked it out yet, but yeah. Um, and, and so that's also a clue too, is that there's always another child who steps into that role. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that should tell you something about your environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're, you're absolutely right, Heather, about this idea of, of um, learning. And, and I had looked at that also as community, right? That, that gardeners talk to each other at farmers mm. markets they go and i hey what do you think about this or i grew this and i know oh, you should see this right they they talk to each other they celebrate with each other and as early childhood professionals we, we need to do that as well that lifelong learning and, and learn from each other and talk to each other mm-hmm. and you know find ways to connect with other people about like man this child seems to be struggling in my classroom what do you got for me how can, what do you think? Can you come in and watch mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing? Because it's, it's sometimes hard to see because it is exhausting. You know, children that are communicating through challenging behaviors, it is difficult when you're in that classroom. And yeah. so to, to be able to reach out for support and help um, is a big step. That's really important. Yeah. The, the other thing that I appreciate about the, I mean, there's a lot of things I appreciate about this book, but it's very practical. So there's, um, there's, there's ideas like we've been talking about so far, but then there's also, um, so I'm thinking about, and I'm looking at it, actually the chapter where you are, um, there's a section where you talk about the appropriate of ex- appropriateness of expectations. And then you go through some examples of like circle time and um, things that are, that are really happening that are probably the real problem that's in that teacher's mind when they're hearing us speak or, or reading this book. So 
Um, so I appreciate that. And I wanted to ask you about this expectations idea specifically to talk about because um, in the last couple semesters, I've taught a, a, a behavior guidance class at the, the college here. And um, I talk about appropriate expectations. And then in their work that's coming back, they talk about lower expectations and lowering their expectations. Mm, interesting. And so I, I'd like to, if you would ask you, and, and I know Richard will have some thoughts here too, about how to differentiate. We're not talking about lowering expectations, which is a different kind of giving up, I think, but, but having appropriate expectations. So can I, can I turn that over to you for a bit now? Yeah, I want to start with, with an example or a, a, you know, something that happened when um, I was in a, in a center and I was there to, to do some training that night. Um, it was a center that I was part of the, the education team for. And I was sitting in the director's office and we were just talking about things. And it was an open concept center. So I could hear the pre-K classroom that was next door to the director's office. And, you know, you could hear the teacher was trying to do circle time. And she was so frustrated. And, you know, she was trying, you could hear her trying to get all the kids over there and then fussing at children and trying to get them all to sit down. And, you know, all of that stuff that comes with, with circle time. And at some point she said, oh, you guys. Like, this is so hard. You make me want to be at home and it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and a little boy said, me too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and so that, that night when I was at this training with this teacher and we just talked about like, tell me your struggles. Tell me what was happening there. And she said, it's just so hard to get all the children to, to come to circle time. And I said, you know, you don't need to do that. And the look of, of relief mm and shock on her face when I, and so that's what we're talking about when we talk about appropriate expectations. It doesn't mean that we're lowering expectations. It means that we know that some children, they're developmentally ready to be at a circle time. Some children, they may be developmentally ready and have no interest, and they may be not developmentally ready for that part of the day yet, and that's okay. You know, it's not your job as a teacher to get everybody to circle time. Your job as a teacher is to have a fun, engaging circle time. The children who are there will be there. And those who aren't, that's okay. You have other things around the classroom that they can engage with. Um, And I think about Bev Boss when we Mm. were at her center. And she used to talk about the way she started story time each day was she would just pick up a book and walk through the center and, and sing some song about starting story time. And the children who wanted to be there came to story time. And she said, one day I got to my story chair and I sat down and nobody was there. Nobody was interested in story time. And she thought to herself, I must be a pretty good teacher because I've got such exciting things going around in the center right now. And children are so engaged. Mm-hmm. They're not at story time and that's okay. And she didn't take that as a judgment of herself and that I failed as a teacher. Instead, it was like, this is the expectation for today and it's fine. No, no, you Richard, what would you like to say? I was just pausing for Richard. Yeah. Cause yeah. And that's what I was too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. My ego is loving this podcast. Yeah. It's, Um, it's about resting our voices. It's not really about hearing you. Okay. Go ahead. Let me mansplain what Michelle just said. Would you? Thank you. (laughs) Thank 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 goodness. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, uh, no, I mean, obviously, I agree with everything that Michelle just said and think that it was t- totally brilliant. Um, and 
spot on. Mm -hmm. um, and I would add, you know, um, when we talk about expectations, um, you know, as you often hear me say on this podcast, our attrition rate is so high in this field, 43% or higher attrition rate, probably more during, the, during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we constantly have this influx of un or less educated folks working with young children. And so um, in order to make sure your expectations are appropriate, the first thing you have to do is have a basic understanding of child development and development, developmental milestones. So right there out of the gate, you, know, you understand not to expect toddlers to share, which doesn't mean it, your job is to totally consistently encourage them to share, but you ignore it when they don't because you don't expect them to be able to do it because you understand child development. And then that sort of takes us to Lev Vygotsky and scaffolding and how we have to individualize not just our curriculum, but our guidance. This child, I can expect to do this. This child, I can expect to do that. And so I'm gonna give them each the appropriate challenge so that they can meet their individualized expectation and feel themselves as successful. Um, and the other thing that I'm reminded of just from something I posted on my Zen page the other day is that there's a lot of people out there whose expectation is obedience. Mm -hmm. And if that's your expectation <clears throat> as an early childhood professional, uh, you're in for a really stressful time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. The, the developmentally inappropriate expectations is a huge part of that attrition because it's oh, really sure. hard. And I could see that on that teacher's face. Right. She was not a bad teacher. She was not a, you know, a, she just didn't understand yet that she thought her job was to get these children to sit in a circle at crisscross applesauce mm -hmm. right. or her, her job was to get them to, 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 to obey or her job yeah. was to get them to share or whatever. And if you feel like that's your job and you're consistently failing at it because it's not an appropriate yeah. expectation, you're going to walk away. And, and that's a sad, you know, that teacher was exhausted and you could see that. And so I think, you know, when we talk about appropriate expectations, the wonderful thing is it not only is best for children, it's best for teachers. Right. It really supports teachers in, in creating classrooms that are more fun and joyful. And I'm all about joy. For everybody, yeah. For the for adults everybody. and the children, yeah. yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, inappropriate expectations are, are equally stressful mm -hmm. on teachers as they are on, on, um, on children. Yeah. So, so I want to um, sort of jump off of that to talk about, um, because we're talking, as you are in the book, about creating conditions for children to thrive. Um, we talk a lot about setting up things to prevent misbehavior. Um, and it's sort of become just something we say as we're checking off a list of, okay, I've got this problem. I've looked at my environment. I've done it. I've got two cars. Things. Right, right. Yeah. I've got two of everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, you, you talk too about um, making sure that the curriculum that we're offering is part of that environment that we set up in which they can thrive. Um, and you use a um, HOMES acronym to, mm -hmm. to sort of examine curricular decisions. Um, and, and so uh, I, I guess, will you talk about that a little sure. bit now? <laughs> so um, I, I, I need to, this is just going to make his ego inflate that I'm not even sure it's going to fit in that little square there. Right. But 
a, a nod to Richard that when I worked with him, one of the things that he expanded was my idea of curriculum mm -hmm. from just activities to this idea that it's everything that impacts on a child's experience in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so curriculum is activities, environments, um, and interactions right. and curriculum or an assessment and like everything there. Um, and so that also shapes how I look at how we design classrooms. And when I talk about designing environments, it's about all of that. Um, but the HOMES acronym, you know, so, and I'm also, I'm from Detroit. And so HOMES is also the way you identify the five Great Lakes, in case you ever need that for trivia, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, Superior. Thank you're you. welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank but you. It, you're welcome. Um, and so it also, when we talk about early childhood, it really is the way we measure active learning. Um, because children are active learners, and that means that we need to be planning environments that are about active learning. And so H is for hands-on. You know, again, Bev Boss said, if it hasn't been in the hands, it can't be in the, in the brain, right? We need to have children manipulating real things as much as possible. Um, Richard and I both have experience of an activity where it was supposed to have toddlers um, exploring straw. And so it was describing for the teacher, like, okay, you hold the straw, now smell the straw and tell children what it smells like. Okay, now, you know, listen to the straw as you, you know, and tell children what it smells like. I think I've used that curriculum. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> toddlers. Um, with toddlers. toddlers, right. <laughs> Instead of, if you want children to learn about straw, put straw in the, in, in the sensory table. Everywhere. And, <laughs> right, and be there for them to, to explore it and explore it with them. Mm -hmm. So hands on open-ended, this idea of, you know, so much of what we do with early childhood, there is a predestined outcome or a pre-expected model. And so to be able to, you know, to just give children materials and say, show me what you can do with it, you know, and then to be there as they explore it. Um, that, go ahead, Richard. Oh, I was just going to point out that underneath I'm hearing you say, Michelle, is a shift in power. In order to do that, you have to take that leap of faith that you're not in charge and you can't control their ability to learn. You have to step back and sure. trust that they're competent. Like our old colleague, Deb, used to say, we trust that uh, young children are capable, competent learners. And you mm -hmm. have to take that leap of faith. If you mm -hmm. think your job is to control it, to make sure they learn all those shapes and all those numbers, um, once again, you're setting yourself up for a really stressful time. Mm -hmm. But to yeah, let them explore yeah. the sensory bin rather than showing them the straw, um, you have to give control over to them. And as yeah, Pia says, let them discover it or not. Yeah, trust is what came to mind for me too as I was listening to you there, Michelle. This It, it all comes down to whether we think um, a child is a competent learner or whether we think a child is a blank slate or an empty pitcher. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think... Um, and certainly that ties to helping with challenging behaviors too. If we feel like sure. they are out to get away with stuff versus they are still learning some stuff, <laughs> um, then that really impacts things. But um, Or, you know, yeah. if you don't know that three-year-olds are still developing um, um, distinctions between fantasy and reality, you know, you'll meet so many lovely people again who don't have that knowledge mm -hmm. and will say, well, he's lying. Yeah. Well, no, actually, that's a misinterpretation of that behavior. You, yeah. you don't, you, you're missing information on child development. 
to really understand what you just saw happen. Mm -hmm. and, and, and little snippets, you know, I think about things that have changed the way I look at things. And, you know, Dan Gartrell's idea of mistaken behaviors. Yeah. That's like, it was a wow. It's not that this child pushed another child to get that truck. It's like they wanted the truck. This was a, a mistaken way to, to meet that ends. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us in the same way that we, you know, as teachers, we're dedicated to teaching letters and shapes and all this. We have to teach behaviors and we have to teach those appropriate ways. Um, and so, you know, when I think about power, I think about, you know, a ballroom dancing couple who, you know, yes, there's somebody that leads, but in a, when, it, in, when you see really good couples dancing, you don't, you don't know that. Mm -hmm. They're in sync and they're, they're trading off and they're communicating and I think about that as classrooms as well, where there's a dance and, you know, yes, a teacher put that straw out because they noticed that children were interested in this and thought it would be a good, exciting, interesting thing. Um, and yes, that teacher has some previous knowledge of straw, but when they're in there and they're with those toddlers, those toddlers don't know that, right? Like those toddlers are so excited because their straw appeared. And, and my teacher's right next to me and they're discovering it with me and this is so cool. And so when you look at a, a classroom like that, sometimes you don't know who's leading because it's that back and forth and it's that yeah. communication. Um, and that's, you're right, that's trust in a partner in the learning, you know, and children are partners in learning. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a, a a helpful thing for teachers to think about is you're right. It's absolutely a, a shift in power and giving up some of the power, but trusting that that child's going to be your partner in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, so, so you're just doing such a good job, Michelle, of leading me from one thing I wanted to talk about to the next. It's just, you're flowing right through the book. Do you um, want me to finish the homes? Yeah. Oh yes. 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 Uh, so <laughs> right now we're stopped at home. Oh, and I just don't right. want to leave Let's the people finish. hanging right. like that. Right, right. Let's um, get going. No. <laughs> what? What was O? Open-ended. Oh, okay. Uh, M is for meaningful, tying it into children's experiences. Mm -hmm. E is for engaging in the same way, you know, that we want children's hands on, we want their brains on. Mm -hmm. And so it's about, you know, not always asking questions we already know the answer to, <laughs> right? But giving children opportunity to think. And then the S is for sensory-oriented you know, giving children opportunities to delight their senses um, and to give them interesting things in the classroom to engage their senses. So that, yeah. that brings us from ho to homes. From ho to homes. And, um, yeah. and you give specific examples in here for different times of, of the day, different parts of a schedule. Um, so I'm just throwing that in to sell some books for you because oh, I thank think you. It's, thank you. it's really helpful and could be really helpful Um uh, to folks who are sort of either struggling with this themselves or teaching or training others who are. Um, but you, you also then talk about relationships as part of this, as part of the conditions um, that are needed for children to thrive. And you talk about the rights of children, which is sort of um, something that's original for, for me in terms of what I've read about relationship building and its importance. Of course, we're all talking about that um, now, especially during during COVID, we're really talking about relationships with children a lot, but you talk about their rights. And I love that framing of, um, how many times have I used the word framing in this podcast? We'll get a, we'll get a contest going. Um, but that, that framing of, uh, humanity, 
so it's not, and like Richard talked about with power, it's not the teacher and, and the child's down here. Um, the child has rights too. the child is fully human. And, and you really do a good job here of talking about that. So, um, and I know you, you wrote the book a long time ago. So if you need me to, to go through any of these rights you've listed, I can do that. But, um, but would you talk about why it's important that children have rights? What? Let me just jump in for anyone out there, especially like college teachers who have requirements like you can't use oh. a book that's older than so many years. It's a couple of years, uh, right? What year was your book published, Michelle? I think 2018. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so for remembering what's on page 74, that's a right. long time ago. Yeah. 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 Well, and, I, I, um, and you're right. I don't remember all of them, but I, one of the ones that I think that when I talk to teachers about it's about the right to, to, um, to receive attention. Mm-hmm. And it's an important one to, to reframe that because you hear teachers a lot of times or parents a lot of times say, oh, he just wants attention. Mm-hmm. And yet, no, he needs attention. Mm-hmm. He has the right to receive attention. And it's really hard when you're in a classroom with, with 18 other children, all you know for, for eight to 10 hours a day, four to five days a week to have that need met appropriately. And sometimes those needs ebb and flow. And so when we reframe that of, okay, this, this, this child doesn't just want attention. It's about, he needs it. He has the right to it. And it's up to me to meet that right, to, to help put those conditions in place where he receives the attention that he has the right to. Um, and it, it just sort of looks at this idea of and, um, taking that bill of rights and looking at things that say, you know, oh, well, they need, they have the right to stimulation. We, we need to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it, it just sort of, yeah, it, it brings that humanity, you know, because yes, all of us need attention. That's, that's, you know, as human beings, it's, it's a need. And, you know, we all have a need to have some power. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we're kind of seeing now in, in a time of pandemic is some human beings reacting to not having power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's their way of saying, hey, I need power in my life. Um, well, children are human beings. And so they also need power. And so we need to find ways, appropriate ways, right? We're not going to give children power to decide that they're going to pull a fire alarm um, <laughs> or things like that. Yeah. But finding appropriate ways to to um, help those rights and needs be met, mm-hmm. um, because some a lot of times or sometimes challenging behaviors are telling us that that this need inside me is not being met, and so I, as a teacher, I need to figure that out mm-hmm. and do some work around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had a thought and it's gone, but <laughs> which is also a theme. Um, yeah. <laughs> And the last of your, so the last of the rights that you list here is the right to be a child and an individual, which is also very important because so many times um, issues around the idea of behavior problems, challenging behavior, however you want to say it, are um, because we can't get this individual to be part of the group effort. And that's, that's what identifies a behavior as being right or wrong a lot of times. Um, sure. And they, they have, they have that right and need just like we do to be seen um, as an individual with individual needs. Another thing I think we give a lot of lip service to, but we can't always find good ways to, 
to practice sure. it. Well, and you think, you, you know, and, and I saw a quote once about how, you know, we want children to color inside the lines as children, but as adults, we want them to, you know, change the world. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you, you can't do that. Like you, yeah. you have to let them, you know, let's throw away the lines. Let's, let's embrace the, the weird and the strange because those are, the, you know, those are wonderful children and they're wonderful adults. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think that that's a, again, helping teachers understand and know it's not your job to make everybody fit in the same box. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Right. That, 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 that idea that. that it's okay is so key here. And mm-hmm. um, I'm glad you've said that a few times that teachers have permission mm-hmm. to change and to give up some of those things that are so stressful. I mean, I know a lot of times there's, there's administration and other issues, but there's a lot of pressure. There's, yeah. there's pressure, but, um, but if, if we really, I guess there's, there's an element of sort of internal permission that I think can be given even in those situations. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'd like to point out there's a bit of bias here uh, for listeners and viewers, because these two women are two of the weirdest, strangest people (laughs) uh, I have had the pleasure of knowing across my entire life. They're very pro-weird and strange. I'd argue if I could. Yeah, that, that, that is true. Pro-weird. I do count myself in the pro-weird. You're, you're the column. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I, I do think that normal and should are two uh-huh. of the most dangerous words in the, in the English language. Yeah. Well, they're like obedient. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you were talking a moment ago about letting children be individuals, that is um, uh, anathema. Is that the word I want to say? It is a that, word. That goes against uh, the culture of standardization uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. that children are born into and teachers find themselves working in. Right. One of the reasons teachers get frustrated among many is that the children aren't meeting those standards. Mm-hmm. Well, right. That's because they're. In- <laughs> yeah. 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 And if your expectation is that they should be meeting these standards again, you are setting yourself up for a really stressful professional life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, everyone, but we've gone on for almost an hour with this total conversation, so I decided to divide it into two episodes. So thank you for listening to part one, and I hope you'll come back again next week for part two. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh...